coffee. Good morning. Yeah, it's great to be with you again this morning. Um, for those of you I haven't met, my name's Igor, and uh, I live in the sunny Bay of Plenty in uh, Papamoa Beach with my good lady Hannah and three kids. Uh, she'd love to be here this morning, but we had a bunch of things going on back home that meant she couldn't. So, um, but it's great to be worshipping together with you this morning. So if, uh, if this is your first time in church and you kind of wonder what goes on here, or you're just kicking the tyres, this is the time in our, our gathering where we open God's Word and we, and we study it and we read it and we draw near to God and hope that He'll teach us something about who He is. All right, so this is all about Him, not about me, and so that's what we're going to be doing for the next half hour or so. so but before we come to God's Word, let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we praise your name this morning. We praise you for who you are. We, we bless you because you are worthy of our praise. And if there's anyone who is supremely valuable, it's you. If there's anyone that we look to for answers to our questions, for hope in difficult times, for truth in a world full of relativity, Lord, it's you that we look to. You're our creator. You're our redeemer. You're our sustainer. You hold all things together by the power of your word. You are worthy of our praise. Nothing else and no one else is worthy of our praise as you are. So we want to focus our minds and our hearts on you this morning because it is in that place where everything comes together and make sense. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would speak through your word. We want to hear your voice through the scriptures in our lives. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed by you. And so this morning, Lord, I ask that, that you'd use me, help me to be clear and true, so that what I say may be exactly what you want me to say this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Back in um, 2009, Burger King did a little promotion, and it went like this. If you defriend 10 people on Facebook, they'll send you a voucher for a Whopper burger. All right? Now, every friend that you defriended would get a little note that went along these lines. You've been defriended for a delicious little burger, which would make you think, wow, that must be some burger. Well, it backfired on them, didn't it? In the first week, 234,000 friends were defriended, which meant, if you do the math, it cost them something like 2,500 burgers. So they cancelled that promo. It seemed that defriending somebody was something that we're quite willing to do. No problem at all, especially if there's something in it for us. Which makes you wonder, how valuable is friendship to you? You know, the word friendship has taken on a new meaning in our culture, I think, hasn't it? And I wonder whether maybe at one end we have what you would call an enemy, and everybody else we deem as friend. But I don't think that's how the Bible uses the word friend. So we're going to dig into the scriptures this morning 
and we're going to unpack what it means to be transformed as friends. So if you have your Bible, can I encourage you to open up to John 15, uh, John 15, and we'll be in verse 9 shortly. But before we get there, I want to set up the scene for you, because the book of John has um, a neat little purpose statement. John says in uh, John chapter 20, verse 31, that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, not, not every book in the Bible has a purpose statement, but this one does, and I think that's pretty clear. That's the purpose that John writes. Now, let me illustrate that. Um, what John is, is writing is he's hoping that what you and I would do is that we would hear who Jesus is and that we would believe, that we would put our faith in, that we would trust in Jesus. All right? And at the point that we trust in Jesus, that we put our faith in Jesus, that's the point of salvation. We go to the next slide. Um, so on the left-hand side, you then have begun a relationship with Jesus, right? Based on justification. At the point that you put your faith in Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous before God. Now, that's the point that you've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And from that point, your position is secure. And by faith, you can go, ah, God and me are all right. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. All right, and many of you have done that, okay? You've put your faith in Christ and you are saved. Okay, so that's what the book of John's about. But in the middle of that, um, there's this little section that we call the upper room discourse, John 13 to 16, and Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he is preparing his disciples for what life's going to be like without him together. I mean, you imagine that. You've been three years with Jesus, and all of a sudden he says, I'm out of here. And you go, what? How are we going to do life without you? Well, he sits them down and says, listen, it's not going to be that bad. I'm going to go, and as last week we found out, I'm going to send you an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit who's going to come and take residence in you. Now, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, jump online and listen to Steve's message. It was great. It's all about how the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer to transform you. Okay, You need to grab that. That's John 14. John 15, he then says it's important that we remain in Jesus. And 11 times it's all about abiding, remain, 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 remain. It's like he, he repeats it. We need to stay close with Jesus. So with that in mind, um, we come to this part of 15. Um, because to, to remain means to stay with, to be steadfast, to hold on to Jesus no matter what. So he's telling his disciples, including you and me, we get to read this now, that the secret of being prepared for whatever God has for you is found in our total dependence on Jesus. He talks about branches and the vine, and we're not going to go into that at the moment, but essentially, um, branches unattached to the vine um, have no chance of bearing fruit. 
All right, so that's kind of setting up where we are now. Let's look at verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. That's, I just, that's so cool. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and be a fruit. Fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Now, the word friend comes up three times in this passage. And it's clearly the subject of the passage. But when you see the word love, it's in the context of friendship. So it's friendship love is what he's talking about. Now, so Jesus is talking to believers. They've already put their faith in him. Okay? This is, Judas is gone. This is the 11 he's talking to. Their faith is in him. But here's now what he does. In the upper room discourse, what he's talking about now is this. Knee to knee fellowship. This is a close, intimate relationship. What he's saying is, as the Father has loved me, so now I love you. This love of the Father is now transferred to us. He's loving us. To that extent, he's loving us. Wow. That's huge. This is fellowship with Jesus. And he calls us friends. That's quite, that's quite something. I, I want to unpack what that means for us today. Because... This passage has done surgery in my soul in the last two weeks. And I hope that I can just convey just a little bit in my time this morning with you. Fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Huge. So, let's unpack that. This is a lifelong process of growing together, of being transformed as friends. So the initial stage, we've got one-off, put faith in Jesus. At that point, you are justified. But now we're talking about a lifelong process of knee-to-knee with Jesus, of fellowship, of growing to become more and more like him. Um, The thing that we've got to watch, though, is that we don't always stay here, do we? We don't always stay close. 
there are times when you and I take things into our own hands and this is what we do. We walk away. We want to be independent. We want to do our own thing. Now, notice Jesus hasn't moved, but we have, and we tend to. Sometimes we're lurking in the shadows, aren't we? It's a bit like I have a wedding ring on my finger, right? That tells you that I'm off limits. I'm taken for. I have, I have decided 25 years ago to marry my best friend and we're husband and wife. But by me telling you that, it doesn't tell you whether I'm in close fellowship with my wife, does it? We could be really doing really, really well right now. Or we could be quite distant. You don't know that. We can do that with our faith. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, sure I am. I believe in Jesus. But that doesn't tell you whether you're actually in close fellowship with Jesus and walking closely with him, being transformed as friends and growing into his likeness, or whether in fact you're doing this and you're lurking in the shadows. And someone asks you, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, but you're living independently, doing life on your own way far away from the life of fellowship that Jesus has for us. Does that make sense? Okay, stick with me. Alright, so, what I want to do, there's so much in this passage, but I want to just talk about why is friendship important and how do we meet that need? So first of all, why is friendship important? Well, the reason friendship is important is because we're like God. We go to the next slide. Basically, one more. Thanks. Um, the answer's in, in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father, as the Father and I have been eternally friends, so I befriend you. You see, from all eternity past, the Father and the Son have existed as friends. And you and I are created in the image of God, right? You know that's, that's true. So if we're created in the image of God, then that means we are made for friendship. Have you ever thought about that? We're not made to do life on our own. And what Jesus is saying, that there's something beautiful in the Trinity that is the basis for all human relationships. In the beginning, what there was before anything was created, there was friendship. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, way back then, before the world was created, they were delighting in each other. They were just, there was just beautiful, perfect friendship going on before we were created. So friendship is the, the root of reality. It was, never, it was never started or created. It was already in the Trinity existent. So when Adam was created, picture this. He's walking with God in paradise. Okay, it's before Eve came along. And, and God created the animals, and Adam gets to name the animals. I, I just imagine being there. It would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? You know, this animal comes past. Oh, Antelope. That's what I think it is. Let's call it an antelope. And the next one comes past. Very big feet. Oh, that's a tiger. Let's go with that. And all the animals go past and Adam names them. And they've gone past. And God says, 
do you fancy a second date with any of those? He goes, nope. There was no one found suitable for Adam. And God says at that point, that's not good. All right? That's not good. Now, this is before the fall, before sin entered the world. God says, that's not good. Adam is alone, and we've got to do something about that. So he creates Eve. Um, Now, let me suggest that all of our problems, all of our issues we have, anger, selfishness, etc., all comes as a base of sin. But loneliness is the one problem that we have that existed before sin entered the world. Because God created us in his image, and that includes we need friends. I wonder, you lonely this morning? Let me suggest you're lonely. It's because you're not a machine. You are created by God for relationship. So friendship is important because we are like God in his image. The second reason why it's important is because we need God. Um, Jesus said, we go back one. That one. Let's stay there for a minute. Okay. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So we know that the relationship inside the Trinity is the basis for our friendships. But then he says, what you need is friendship with me above anything else. You need friendship with me. See, our our human friendships are indispensable. Adam needs Eve, and that's cool, but... Above that, our actual need is for a friend that is so profound that no human being will ever be able to deliver that satisfaction. You know, I know when Hannah and I got married, um, we had a bit of a battle because she thought that I would meet all her needs for friendship. I put that on a bloke. All right? Now, but that was what she thought. Hey, you know, I'm not happy, I'm lonely, but I marry this guy and then I'll be complete. Well, God has designed us differently. Yes, we need human relationships, but ultimately we need relationship with Jesus Christ. All our human um, friendships are ultimately imperfect. We spend a lot of time getting bitter and twisted because friends let us down and, and they don't meet that deepest need. Jesus says, I have made you friends. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. No other belief system holds to that. Did you realize that? Abraham and Moses says in the Old Testament they were friends of God. And the Jews believed that only special people, some special people, could be friends with God. And then Jesus comes along and he has the audacity to say that friendship with Jesus is available for all of us. That's his desire for all of us, that we would be in close fellowship with him. So why do we need friends? Because first of all, we're like God, but secondly, because we need God ultimately as our friend, because human relationships will never totally satisfy. Okay, in a nutshell, there is nothing more humanizing than friendship and nothing more terrible than loneliness.
So, in the time we've got left, I want to talk about how do we meet that need? How do we meet that need for friendship? And how do you know if you have friendship with God? And how do you know if your relationship with others is a true good friendship? There are some marks of friendship in this passage that I want to explore with you that you can use as a gauge um, to, to work out your depth of friendships, to see whether, whether this is what Jesus would have, us, have for us. Um, and so Jesus gives us a glimpse into what God-like friendship looks like in this passage. Um, I like how Tim Keller summarizes it. He says that um, what Jesus is saying here is that a friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Always lets you in and never lets you down. That's his, kind of the summary in this passage of, of a definition of a friend. A friend, first of all, always lets you in. Look at verse 15, what he says there. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You're not servants because the servant doesn't really know the heart of their master. Friendship is more than a servant and it is more than a mere acquaintance. A servant, when you're serving somebody, you just obey what they say, right? You just blindly go, yep, this is what you say, I'll do it. But friendship with Jesus is way more than that. Jesus has opened himself up to his disciples. He says, I let you in. You know, with an enemy, you kind of got the defenses up. And Jesus says, no, I let you in all the way. Friend always lets you in to get close. And then the second thing is, a friend never lets you down. A friend never lets you down. A friend puts him or herself out for you. Uh, superficial friends don't do that. But real friends stick around when times are bad. Proverbs 17 says, um, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Someone who sticks around, who when the chips are down, they're still there for you. Now, the main command in this passage is in verse 12. Look at that. It says, love each other. Love each other. Repeat it in verse 17. And the standard of that love is Christ's example. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. So here's what's going on. Back to our seat. As the Father has loved Jesus, Jesus now loves us. And he wants us to love others flowing out of this fellowship relationship. Knee to knee with Jesus, we are being transformed as friends to become more and more like him. Out of that close relationship flows love for other people. Love for other people. You can't achieve what he's asking there, commanding there, lurking in the shadows, living independently on our own. The kind of friendship, the kind of love that Jesus wants to flow out of us comes out of close fellowship, growing, transforming to become more like Christ in the process. So those are the two things. A true friend lets you in and never lets you down. 
Um, I love how Derek Kidner in his commentary on, um, on the book of Proverbs, Proverbs had a lot about friendship. He says that this kind of friendship is candor and constancy. Candor and constancy. By candor, he means vulnerability, openness. If we go to the next one, transparency, candor. And constancy means there's a commitment. There's a friend is sticking with you, um, constantly there. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And on the cross, Jesus Christ proved that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Candor and constancy means true friends, they always let you in and they never let you down. If it's one and not the other, then that's not true friendship. That's not really a friend. Maybe the reason we struggle with friends is that we haven't learned what it is to be a friend to begin with. To be a constant friend. A friend that others can count on. And if you want others to count on you, you have to let them in. You have to open up. So, in the time we've got left, I want to look at how do we apply this? How do we apply this, always let you in and never let you down, both from a vertical and from a horizontal basis? All right. Firstly, always let you in. On the horizontal level, you know when Jesus says, I've told you everything, that's the reason you're my friend? He's... Letting you in? If you're having trouble making friends, it's either because you start opening up your heart too soon or we don't move quickly enough and we, we don't go at all into intimacy. The art of friendship is, in, is, is partly in, in opening up and you allow others um, to open up with you the kind of mutual choosing of each other, the vulnerability we see there. Vulnerability. Jesus says, I've chosen you. So friendship begins by opening up to somebody else. That's in the horizontal. On the vertical, you know, when you come to Christ, you won't be a servant of Jesus, but he wants you to be friends. That's what he calls you. A a servant is somebody who blindly just obeys what God says. Okay, God says that, we'll do that. That's not the relationship Jesus is offering. He's offering you friendship. When you come to Jesus by faith, you enter into a relationship with him. Other religions don't offer that. No. You think of Buddhism. You've got Buddha's writings and Buddha no, he, no longer here so what do we have? We just have his writings but with Christ he leaves himself and as we learned last week he leaves himself in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of us it's a personal thing, it's a friendship relationship when you read scripture and you find words leaping out at you and it's just like they come alive. Um, 
They, they dig into you. They convict you. You realize that you're, that you're dealing with a person, a friendship. Um, let me illustrate it this way. Let's suppose you leave here later this morning and you want to get to Half Moon Bay. And you're not from here like me and you have no idea where that is. You drive down the road and you're like, how am I going to get to Half Moon Bay? And you see somebody at the intersection on the side of the road, so you pull over, you wind down the window, and you say, can you help me get to Half Moon Bay? Okay, so now he could draw a map and go, okay, if you go right, first left, second right, then you'll get there. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, let me come with you. And he jumps in the car with you, and he guides you there. So as you're driving along, he says, okay, this intersection, you want to go right, I'll tell you where to go next. He isn't giving you a plan, a little map, but he's jumping in and driving along with you, guiding you to where you need to go. Christianity says, you know what? Do you want guidance? Do you want um, to know what your gifts are? Do you want to know the plan I have for you? Do you want to know about your future? Well, you don't get it in a crystal ball. You get it when Jesus jumps in the car with you, jumps into your life with you. He gets into your life with you, and it's through friendship with him, through knowing him, through getting to know him more, through reading his word and listening, and through letting him teach you through the Holy Spirit, through circumstances that you find where you're supposed to go. And if you enter that relationship with him, he will tell you. He will guide you. Tell you who to marry. Say, really? Well, not exactly. He just guides you along the way and gives you some um, directions as we read his word and we get to understand who he is and what he has planned for us. Yeah, absolutely. Not a whole road map, but he'll tell you the next step to take through wisdom, through getting to know who he is and what his plan is for you, he will guide you as a friend does. Does that make sense? Okay. Not sure you're with me. One of those moments where as a preacher you look out and you go, oh, I'm not sure. Either you're in deep thought and you think I'm on cuckoo land or you're tracking with me. All right. Hmm. All right, so a friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Let's look at the never let you down part. First of all, vertically. Jesus says, you can't be my friends until you see that I've laid down my life for you. That first bit is so important. He's laid down his life for you, and, and he's asking you to take that by faith, that yes, I believe. Right? But it's really important. That's the first part. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, why is the fact that he died for you such a big deal? Well, if you die for someone, it doesn't work, does it? Because you're only giving up a few years. Um, because you and I are destined to die anyway. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. All right? So no one in this room can actually give up their life for someone else. All you can do is give them a few years because you're destined to go that way anyway. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's different. 
Jesus is the only friend who didn't have to die at all. He's the only friend who has a perfect record and death had no claim on him whatsoever. John 10 says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. Okay? He lays it down voluntarily. No one in this room can do that for someone else. And give them a few years, but sorry, it wouldn't mean that much. Nowhere near as much as what Jesus has chosen to do for you. But Jesus says, because my record is perfect, if I die for you, that doesn't give you just a few more years. I pay for every sin that you have committed. Wow. Wow. You ask me, that's a perfect sign of him not letting you down. He never lets anyone down. That's perfect friendship. And he chooses, sorry, he says, I'm your substitute. I stand in for you. My death actually saves you. And you can be sure of that. And you can sit down and put your faith in him with certainty. Sure of what you hope for and certain of what you can't see. That's what Hebrews 11 calls faith. So he says, my, my death actually saves you. And he has chosen you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. That means your purpose is to be on mission. On mission for God that produces fruit. And along the way, your father will answer requests that you have to accomplish that mission. So when you read, ask anything that you want, please don't put in there, oh, Lamborghini, holiday at the coast. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about specific things in accordance with his mission. So as you are knee to knee with Jesus, growing in your walk with him as friends, you ask anything you want because you won't be asking anything that's belongs in the shadows. You'll be asking in line with Jesus' plan for us, his mission that he's left the church to complete on earth. Right? All right. Horizontally, this love of Jesus has profound impact on us. First, we come to Jesus by faith, but then knee to knee, we are remaining with Jesus. And the love of Jesus flows out to others. Flows out. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, that doesn't... We'll just get your head around what that means. Because D.A. Carson explains that obedience is not what makes you friends. It's what characterizes you as friends. All right? So... As friends with Jesus, you are characterized by obeying what Jesus has for you. And that's, we become transformed and more and more like him, that's the goal. So the big idea this morning, if you remember nothing else, friendship with Christ transforms our actions into love and obedience. So you get involved with people and, and your, your love from Jesus flows out to other people. 
you know, and I know some of you will testify to this, that people just want to know, how come you're so loving? How come you're so kind? What's well, because you're being transformed by Jesus. And that's flowing out of your life, which is wonderful to see. As Jesus was the embodiment of God's love, so now each disciple should embody Christ's love. Lastly, you know, transformed as friends, what does that look like? Well, four simple things. First of all, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. Self-sacrifice for friends is the greatest demonstration of friendship. You lay down something for them. Just as Jesus laid down his life, you lay down something for your friends. You're willing to sacrifice. Secondly, love always costs time. Always costs time. Costs your schedule, costs your convenience. Takes time. Thirdly, love takes the initiative. You know what? What would have happened if Jesus said, well, once they get their act sorted out, then I'll love them. We'd still be waiting. But Jesus took the initiative, and just like Jesus took the initiative, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, love that flows out of the relationship takes the initiative. And fourthly, love is going to produce fruit that remains. I don't know if many of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. Anyone seen that? Okay, so Saving Private Ryan, just quickly, was, was set in um, World War II. And um, the Ryan family had four young fellows that went to war. Three of them got killed in the line of duty. And so the, what they decided to do was, let's get Private Ryan and let's rescue him from the front line and bring him home. The family's already lost enough. All right? So Captain Miller gets sent with a bunch of troops to go and save Private Ryan and bring him home. Right, so that's kind of the, the story. On the way to getting to where he is, they already lose a bunch of soldiers. But there's this incredible scene where um, they show up and they find him. And they say, come on, we're going to take you home. And he's, he doesn't want to come initially. He's like, why should I get to go free home while my mates here are fighting the war? And so in the end, they agree to fight this battle with him and then he's going to go home with them. Anyway, there's this scene where there's lots of casualties and Captain Miller, who has the job to bring Private Ryan home, is fatally shot and he's sitting there looking around and it's almost like there's a freeze frame where the, the scene just kind of slows right down and he looks at all the carnage around. He himself is about to take his last breath and he gets Private Ryan close to him says these two profound words. He says, earn this. You've seen it, remember that clip, eh? Some of you are nodding at me, yep. Earn this. What, what he's saying is, Captain Miller has is, is given his life in order that Private Ryan might get home safely. And all this carnage, he's basically saying, make that worthwhile. Earn this. Whatever you do from now on in your life, make sure you're earning um, the... the the sacrifice that I and others have cost you for your salvation. And then the movie skips forward and he's, he's now grey and ageing and he's remembering as he's in the cemetery looking at Captain Miller's um, uh, cross. Um, he's remembering back to that scene 
where Captain Miller said, earn this. He's looking around behind him. There's his kids and his grandkids. You know, and he's wondering, have I done enough? Have I worked hard enough to earn for my salvation? Well, friends, I think that's a perfect picture of what we often do, don't we? I grew up in a, in a, in a home in Holland at a Dutch Reformed church where it seemed like God is like this vindictive God where he's like sitting there going, I'm watching you, you better earn my right, you better earn my love, earn this, and I'm ready to whip you around the ears if you don't. But what I've come to realize and what I want you to walk away with today, you get nothing else. Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, he went to you and I, sorry, he went to the cross for you and I, and he has paid the price fully for your salvation. And he longs for you not only to come to him, but he longs for you to be in knee-to-knee fellowship with him. He calls you friends. And so what we, what we do, what our life represents, is a flow of this love that Jesus has for us based on the love of the Father to Jesus. And so that love and obedience is not because of wanting to earn anything. You can't earn anything. You leave everything you have at the door. We come empty-handed. But our motivation for doing that is because of Christ's love for us. That has had such a profound impact in my life that if you're sitting here today hoping that you can earn Christ's love or earn your salvation somehow, please, don't leave here without talking to someone. Come and chat to me up front. Love to help you with that because the, the, as we are transformed into the kind of people God wants us to be, it's through the love of Jesus in knee-to-knee fellowship, growing relationship with him. All right? Let's pray. Just as our, our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to just encourage you, maybe this is a time where you need to do some business with God and just talk to him about where you're at. Maybe today you, you've never put your faith in Christ in the first place. You're sitting there going, man, this is the first time that I realize that God is calling me into a relationship with himself. Maybe today is the time where you... Cry out to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. He will. He will welcome you into his family if you do that. Or maybe today you have put your faith in Christ. You know you're a believer, but you also know that you're not in close knee-to-knee fellowship with him. You've been lurking in the shadows, and the reality is what you've been looking for, you've not been finding. Well, today, God invites you to come close to lean in and knee to knee with Jesus. He invites you to grow in your friendship, love, relationship with him. Our Father, this morning we want to thank you for your incredible love for us that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that you make it possible for us to be in relationship with him. And Lord, we don't deserve that. We know we can't earn it. We just simply say thank you. Thank you, thank you. 
We pray that we would continue to grow in our walk with you. Would you continue to transform us into the kind of people you want us to be? Would you help us, Lord, to um, move out of the shadows of, of lurking in the darkness, but into fellowship with you where you want us to be? Lord, would you forgive us for chasing the worldly um, desires that just rage in us that we think might satisfy? Lord, forgive us. Help us to turn to you, to run to you. Because you alone are worthy of us to walk closely with. We want to obey you in our life. We want, to, we want fruit to be evident in our lives as a result of, of, of your love for us. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Pray that you would continue to do surgery in our souls so that we might glorify you with our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name.